0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. And Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks, with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash TWIP. And Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to Squarespace.com forward TWIP. Those Ansel Adams negatives are a false positive. Canon sensors are big and sensitive. And special guest Tom Pickett joins the fray. It's Saturday, September 4th, 2010. And this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWiP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me on the show today are uh, Mr. Ron Brinkman and a new voice that we haven't heard from before. Uh, Mr. Tom Pickett is joining us from Hawaii to to share with us. Some of his uh, knowledge about photography and, and initially we're going to kick it off and learn a little bit more about who he is. He's a new to this week in photo, uh, but a long time listener. So welcome to the show both of you and Tom, welcome to your first time on this podcast. How are you?
1: Well, thank you very much, Fred. I'm glad to be here. I'm fine. Great. How are you? I'm doing, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's a,
0: uh, it's a wonderful Labor Day weekend up here. Ron Brinkman, how are you doing down there in, in Hermosa?
2: doing well. It's, uh, we, we actually have a guest on here who's, who's got better weather than we
0: consistently do in Southern <laughs> California since he's out in Hawaii. So. Hey, Tom, you're, you're in Hawaii, right? So how, how, for, from a photographer's standpoint, lots of photographers are like, Oh, man, if I can go to Hawaii, I could get these beautiful sunsets and hula girls and palm trees and all this stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that wears off after a period of time or,
1: or does it? <laughs> That's funny. That's a good question uh it frankly never wears off uh it it <laughs> it depends it depends on i believe the individual because i'm sure you you've heard in the past that a lot of people have moved here and uh, developed what is called island fever quote unquote mm-hmm. and uh when you when you uh, sit back and realize that you're surrounded by 2000 miles of water in any direction uh you some people uh, freak out on the other mm-hmm. hand Uh, There are a lot of people like me that uh, really, really like it. Yeah, and uh, I I I just—I don't—I think I made the right decision. I'm here to stay. I'm not going back.
0: What do What do you shoot over there? What's your What's your photographic genre uh, of choice?
1: I continue to do uh, what uh, I continue to do what I've done in the past, except on a uh, more limited schedule. Uh, than I've done in the past, but uh, back to portrait photography. Uh, I've gotten, I really got involved heavily in the architectural photography. That includes uh, uh, taking uh, f- photographs of uh, really expensive homes. I'm talking homes that are five to ten, up to $20 million or so. Wow. Uh, so that uh, I got involved in. Uh, then the usual family photography and a whole lot of event photography because as you probably might be aware uh there are uh, tons of people who come over here for conventions yeah
0: yep absolutely i know uh one of our co-hosts uh, steve simon was just down there for a workshop and uh yeah and you know i wish i was there too ron uh Tom was telling me yesterday that he uh, he spent some time in Costa Rica, and I know you are a fan of traveling to places like that. Uh, and we were we were ba- basically chatting about you know some of the the misconceptions about the dangers of traveling to those kinds of places. And now that I have you both together on the line, you know, I wanted to, to yeah, well, see what you both thought about that.
2: Definitely, mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been to Costa Rica just a couple times, but uh, absolutely, you know, I had a great time. But I thought it was particularly interesting because that was was with the National Geographic, if I'm not. Uh, incorrect is that right that's
1: correct yes that's correct. tell me
2: a little bit more about i mean i think i think all of our listeners are have always sort of at least 99.9 percent of our listeners have probably been of the type that would you know thumb through a national geographic and say boy you know my ideal job would be working for the national geographic shooting uh shooting this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and uh i guess i would just love to hear sort of how you got into that and then uh, what what exactly you were doing for it and and uh, that sort of thing
1: Sure. Uh, there was uh, a period of time that uh, this started in uh, nineteen, early actually nineteen ninety six, and I got the call uh, that I've been waiting for for some time uh, to go ahead. And my assignment was amphibious, uh, amph- amphibious uh, creatures. <laughs> Let's call them creatures. <laughs> uh, the The assignment uh, was to go to that rain, go to the numerous rainforests that are there, uh, and the closest one happened to be only 30 miles from uh, San Jose, Costa Rica. And it ended up, I stayed there for three years. Wow. uh, now, did so, I? Wait,
2: I'm sorry. Let me let me inter- interrupt you real quick. Just I, I'm just curious. You know, you said you'd been waiting for the call, but uh, take take us back just a few steps before that. In terms of, I mean, had you did you already have a relationship with the National Ge- Geographic or people there, or you know, so was your, what was your first kind of contact with them?
1: I believe the only, I believe the way it, uh, that it was uh if, if I recall the way it all happened is uh contacts 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 yeah. and my word uh my work became um, knowledgeable to the staff at Nat Geo and uh suddenly I started receiving uh, numerous calls that will be calling you in the future you know that type of thing, and the future was uh never to uh, in my opinion never really quite happened quickly uh except uh after about a year of those type type of calls it it happened, and they asked me if I would be interested in going down there and I said of course so uh listen uh that was an assignment to behold i 'm uh i'm uh i 've seen my pictures uh I've seen my pictures printed in many uh, many aspects of uh, print, including their own magazine uh, and on the front of videos uh, that they produce. You know that sort of thing. Right. So uh, it, it, again going down there uh, was not going down there was beautiful, but I was able to because of the proximity close to me was able to fly back and forth. Uh, every month back to the mainland here in the United States and uh, keep in contact with local uh, uh, people that, uh, that I work with. And that was beautiful.
0: Now Tom now uh on that flying back and forth and getting down there and just expenses overall um I would assume it was a it, it had to be in order to uproot you from the from the the mainland It had to be a lucrative job, so without getting into specifics of how much they were paying you, was it enough to survive at a good level in Hawaii while being able to jump back and forth to the United States, or were you was it more of a break even proposition that you were doing it for hey i'm gonna I'm
1: not going to lose any money on this, and I will leave this with a lot of images for my portfolio. All right. Uh, bottom line, it was a matter of pride. When, 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 you, when you're a photographer and you get a call from Nat Geo saying, hey, we'd like you to do an assignment. Are you interested? Uh, I think you jump at it. Now, yeah. being quite upfront and honest with you, yes, I was not making uh, the kind of income I was making by staying here on the mainland in the United States but on, this, on the other hand i developed an incredible uh relationship with uh nagio and uh, as well as uh the the fact that i love traveling to uh, foreign countries and in specifics costa rica where i've been before that not for them but on vacation or otherwise and i love the country i love the people
2: yeah i mean i think i, I think that's really a, a good point is that uh anybody that sort of works their way up in any industry and especially photography. It is kind of about building up contacts with people and and sometimes taking a gig that may not be the ideal one, but knowing that you're going to leverage it to something else. And it sounds like you actually got pretty lucky in that you ended up landing a gig that fit really well with your interests as well. And it's, uh, I mean, it really is a beautiful country and Yep. I, know, you know, I, I would definitely go back for a third time without hesitation for that matter. All
0: right, guys, we're going we're to continue that um, a little bit, but I want to take a quick, quick moment to give a nod to our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. They're the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. They've got more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. And they feature audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. And for listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to, uh, to check out what they've got to offer. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, I was just at a at a conference in Dallas, Texas, where I jumped out of a plane with the Golden Knights. But that's, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, my first skydive with the Golden Knights. But I was out there doing a talk. And Trey Radcliffe, a photographer who we've had on the show before, was doing a talk as well. And we were talking sort of after, the, after our talks about different things that we're listening to and books and all that. And Trey turned me on to something that's not particularly photography related, but it's, if you're a geek like me, um, it, it is really an interesting book. And it's called Demon, and it's spelled D-A-E-M-O-N. So Excellent. that's Excellent. That's, uh, have you heard of that, Ron?
2: Oh, I've, yeah, I've read it. It's actually, uh, oh it, my the, God. Only, the only thing I would say is that people have to know that uh, it's really, Demon is like the first half of a two-part thing. So the second book, which is called Freedom TM, is really you, you almost can't read Demon without then jumping right into the second one. Oh, it's great. Kind of-
0: there goes another week of my life. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So, you, you, yeah <laughs> see, that's, that's exactly
2: what I'm warning you because if you're partway into Demon and you're like,
0: oh, this is great. And I can't wait to see how it all wraps up. It is so be- cool. So what's the, tell Tell the, the listeners what the premise of the book is because it's oh, so cool. It's,
2: well, yeah. The the basic premise is awesome. It's, it's very contemporary. It's science fiction, but it's uh, set in present day. And the whole conceit of the book is that some multi-billionaire genius uh, video game designer guy has died, but he left uh, these computer programs running. Demons, if you're a Unix person, is just sort of a background process running that are sort of, uh, well, initially you think that it's, uh, he's just set these things out there to kill a lot of people off, and it's sort of a mystery as to what exactly is going on, but uh, it 's just really well written to a total page turner
0: yeah it 's kind of like it 's almost like the matrix in a way because he the cool thing that drew me in and well how Trey described it to me was you know this guy left this this program this demon running the, that would scan the because it 's tied into things that actually happen today, so it would scan the internet, google whatever, and look for signs of his death and if yeah. it and if it noticed that he had died then it was it was programmed to Off all these other processes Uh, and start taking over governments and trading hmm. stock to get money to fund things and calling people and all this crazy stuff. It's insane.
2: Yeah, so. it's very, uh, a very. It's really well thought out and a real. Like I said, it's a page turner. Even though you're on your uh, your audio version of it, and you you can't uh, flip the pages much faster. But yeah.
1: is this? If uh, you know, don't mind me interrupting, is this guy the author? Is this his first book? Tenth book? Twelfth book? Yeah, it's
2: something? his first. It's his first book. But I guess he's actually uh, he is a, a system. You know, a, a computer guy. Uh, in his regular job so he clearly understands the technology and yeah I mean it, as a first book it's surprisingly it is uh, it's really you know, good
0: polished I guess so yeah the character wow, the characters in it are very vivid and you know even the narration of the book cuz that's it could be the world's best book and if you get a narrator that that uh you know kind of doesn't doesn't sound good let's just be polite it doesn't sound good then it's going to ruin the whole thing you there's no way you're going to be able to listen to five six seven hours of a person's voice who you find annoying this guy's voice and his reading manner is quick and it's he, he gets into it he's you know he even tries to personify some of the characters in the book so you know when it's a, a different kind of character speaking with a different vernacular he'll try to emote that it's a it's a it's a really good book and yep. Now I have, what is it, Freedom DM I have to download? Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate TM, that.
2: Trademark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you have to because this one ends as a complete
0: cliffhanger as far as I'm concerned. So. Oh. oh, you said Freedom TM. I had DM. TM. Okay, no, TM it. like trademark. Very cool. All right. Anyway, back to photography. Yeah, yeah well, uh, well, for the listeners, if you want to download Freedom TM or Demon or whatever or any audio book, just head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com dot com
1: forward slash twip you want my recommendation? yeah, absolutely. what do you got okay I've got a good one i i'll tell you what i I believe firmly this is uh this company uh, is one of my leading uh, providers of material because I prefer to listen to audio uh, audio books rather than read them, and when this company became available to me, I downloaded. Atlas shrugged <laughs>
0: <And> I... <laughs>
1: what was that i didn't get that one atlas shrugged oh okay. atlas-
2: so that's uh, what about a sixty five hour book if i'm not mistaken
1: it's in that area it's one of the <laughs> longest it's actually uh, it's the longest book ever uh, ever put out on uh, on uh, the company uh, is sixty eight hours this one is sixty five hours it's one thousand three hundred and sixty eight pages. But the point is, I think, let's talk about what Audible is offering here. They're offering a free book uh, from listeners uh, if you subscribe. And uh, the free book can be Atlas Shrugged, 1,368 pages, or a book that has 100 pages. Yeah. That's, that's what I like about this beautiful company called uh, Audible.
0: Yeah, so it's it's awesome. Yeah, so you Love can it. you can. Get... already in the selling mode for it. I know, I know, totally. Well, I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to download that one because I, I don't think that'll fit on my iPhone. But it's <laughs> awesome. All right, guys, let's jump right into the news now. Uh, first up, we've been following the story for a while, and it's it's about those those Ansel Adams negatives. You know, not to beat this horse. Into any more of, of the bloody pulp that it's already in. <laughs> By oh, way, so uh, were they real or weren't they real? Yeah, they were not real. They so that, not real. that's the gist and of the story. Uncle Earl shot the photos. Yep, Uncle Earl shot them, and apparently the the story behind the story is that the former museum curator that uh, Rick Norsegin, or Norsegian or paid to authenticate these glass plate negatives has recanted his authentication, I guess, and said uh, basically. Oops, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. They, you know, I thought they were, but they're not real, you know. And he he told this to the, I guess, the New York Times. And uh, the the other story behind that story is he was only paid a thousand dollars over six months to evaluate these sixty one glass plate negatives. So it tells me he didn't spend a whole lot of time on it. For, I know uh, six it's, months of work
2: for a thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, to, and then you come out with, oh yeah, these are two hundred million bucks. You know. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know. you know, it would be an interesting show topic at some point to kind of talk about the whole science of authenticating these old things. But uh, I yeah, think how do you
0: how do you how do you authenticate a silver halide? I don't, uh,
2: I'm sure I, there's all kinds of stuff with uh, you know analyzing the where the shots were taken from and kind of dating it and all kinds of things. But
0: that would be a good show topic. I would, I would, I would be interested in that. Now, now, Tom, have you? Uh, You know, I know you. You were shooting with film initially. When did you make the jump from, you know, shooting shooting on silver halide based film over to to the (laughs) to the digital world? And uh, and what pushed you over?
1: Excuse me, silver. (laughs) 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 Go on. You remember film? Don't
0: act like you never shot film.
1: (laughs) I don't remember film, dude. What what is that? (laughs) Yeah, sure. I I found. I I had the. I had really had to make that comment. That's funny. Um. No, I, I did it uh, when the D60 Canon first came out, mm-hmm. and uh, the the re- the uh, reviews on this camera, uh, I even hesitated after all the outstanding reviews of this camera by everybody. And then I thought, well, I'll just go and rent one and see uh, before I jump, uh, head over hills and spend that kind of money. If you recall, guys, that thing was $1,500 when it first mm-hmm. came out. Yeah. So uh i wasn't about to spend that kind of money until i decided that uh this might be a good thing to do i rented the camera went out and shot and shot and shot and came back and to make a long story short i said sell me this one they said no we'll sell you new one. and i said sell me any one i want one so, <laughs> yeah
0: that's where it happened yeah yeah uh, i think a lot of, a lot of people have that same experience it's uh it's, well, you know, people that have been shooting and made the transition, it's a, it's a different kind of feel from when you first jump into photography and you get your digital camera and you, you, you have a certain expectation of quality already built in. But when you go from uh, being, being encumbered, you know, not encumbered, but, but sort of restricted by traditional film and the things that you have to know and have to do with that, um, and then moving over to digital, it's a whole different dynamic and a whole different level of freedom. TM that you feel, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know the thing that I I miss most about the switchover, or the,
2: the thing that I regret most about the switchover, that I didn't really realize uh was going to change the way I shot was just the quantity of things I would take and the willingness to shoot uh mm-hmm. stuff that I'm that I didn't think was going to be you know total put on the wall kind of photos because you know when you were shooting film there was such a cost associated with each picture you took so you you tended to uh, you know pick your battles very carefully. Good for for somebody that's you know uh, totally into the art side of it, I suppose. But for me, as somebody who shoots a lot of the time, just as sort of a memory kind of thing, uh,
0: I think that's really a huge difference
2: for the uh, for what digital brought me.
0: You know, here's, here's a question for both of you guys. So if you um, you know we're, we, we started this discussion on the Ansel Adams authentication you know and how that was that whole thing was bogus but let's let 's just so, sort of relate that to what we 're talking about with the transition from film to digital now ron you uh, so you were saying that if you know there 's got to be a way to authenticate a glass plate negative or any negative by using some magic science or whatever, but what about digital you know what if there 's a digital print out there? you know, that has no XF data, that is sort of just some bits sitting there and it's a stellar image and someone says, hey, that was a, you know, it's say it's, you know, the year 2062 and somebody says, that was a Ron Brinkman Costa Rica image and I want to, you know, that's worth $20 million. You know, how how do you prove that? Or is there is there, do you think there will be a way to prove that? That's a
2: great... Uh, yeah, level. I mean, you know, you, you, you don't... I don't know. I At some level, it's the whole sense of here's a valuable negative has gone away right there, there's no there's no sense of that anymore the negative well, the, oh, there's no original
1: yeah but isn't the answer to, uh, to that somewhat by uh, making sure that you keep your Dev information no matter where you go uh, how you transfer your photographs i don't know about you guys but the first time i started using uh, photoshop and some other software programs, uh, I noticed that some of them erased the exit data. And I thought, my gosh, wait a second, the whole idea is, is to keep that information so that this does not arise in the future. If a picture of mine came up and people were arguing that it's not mine, mm-hmm. uh, I can have the exit data intact and I could say, this is my photograph, look here. Uh, but on the other hand, Let me give you an example of uh, how digital uh, also changed the way the world looks at photographs. Um, I'm not sure uh, everybody's aware but a long time ago uh, judges refused to admit photographs into evidence unless you can prove with the exif data that you shot that photograph as evidence and uh, that I, I can tell you I worked with a few lawyers and um, they told me, unless you can prove uh, it's a photograph you shot and what time it was shot and where it was shot, uh, not where it was shot so much, but you, you get where I'm going with this. Yeah, right? and how, how, you're talking
0: about with film, though, right? How, how would they, what were the, the elements that you'd have to use to prove that this was yours?
1: Oh, no, I know. You, 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 uh, I'm sorry. Did I go off on another tangent? I thought we were talking about how digital – uh when when when, uh, when we yeah yeah world.
0: we were we are so are you talking about
1: digital images
0: that that, that you'd have to prove in court or
1: or negatives yeah digital, digital. okay, got it, got it okay digital, yeah the judges will not accept any photograph that you cannot prove uh, with exit data uh and your lawyer can show the judge that this photograph has not uh was shot by this photographer on this date and it has not been by the way not been altered in any way, and that has to be yeah, signed well. by
2: that's the trick. Is yeah, you know, it's the, determining that something hasn't been altered in any way is is uh, uh, the trickiest part of it all, really. Because you know, I can go in and I mean, there's programs out there that let me go in and rewrite EXIF data, yeah. So I can certainly doctor that up. There's obviously photos, you know, Photoshop and such that lets you modify the image. There's a whole science of sort of you know, really analyzing images and determining have they been photoshopped. And there's some pretty clever techniques that, unless you're a very sophisticated uh, forger or photoshopper uh, you know you'll fall prey to and there are ways to determine if something has been touched by photoshop but you know it's it's an arms race yeah there's always going to be somebody that's better at it and the people that know how to determine it's a fake also would know how to make really good fakes so
0: yeah and Um, you know in photoshop there's a there i know the photoshop experts out there are, are saying yeah there's that feature in there that does this but there's a feature that lets you watermark the images not visibly but invisibly so that even if the image is cropped that the 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 who what when where of the image are are is still maintained so you could put an image out there and somebody could say yeah you know it's a group shot but i only want this i only want want uh you know tom's face and if they crop it down to just tom's face and try to claim it as theirs the the original who shot this image will still be present in there so and that's yeah that's been in photoshop yes. since i mean i don't know maybe three or four
1: I started with three, and it was in there, yes. Yep.
0: so if you but take the time you know to do doing. that, yeah. if you know what you're doing, you can still get, yeah. get around that, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the point, is that
2: it's, uh, uh, it's an arms race, right? You're never going to know for sure, because
1: somebody just knows that technology can probably get around it. Well, guys, yeah, I'll tell you what. My feeling on it is, bottom line is this. No matter, no matter what technology gives us over here on the right side, and we as consumers of this technology product on the left side, Go out and buy it and, and use it. There's going to be somebody in the middle or on uh, standing over there on the top right who says, oh, I can, I can fix that. I can, I can, I can fool around with that and I'll take care." You sure. know, yeah. Let, let's look at hackers. That's, that's what I'm talking about. The yeah. hacking, the hacking. Sure.
2: I'm, yeah, there's so. always going to be somebody that uh, that can you know get around it eh, at some level. Though I don't think it's <laughs> you know you, you can't worry too much about it, right? You can't sit there no. and say, "Oh, my photo's is going to be stolen," and you know I can't put it out there. You know every. Uh, any success I've had with photography, no matter how you define success, it's primarily been been because I make sure people can see my images. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If it sits on your hard drive, it's, you know, it's like, hey, I have all my marbles and you can't see them, you know, so what good is it?
1: (laughs) Wrong. you, you said, uh, that when you switched to digital suddenly you found yourself taking a lot more pictures. That clearly is the, uh, is the winner as far as I'm concerned about digital photography. That's the winning example as uh, film photographers, we were so careful uh, not to take an exceeding amount of pictures because every picture costs x amount of x amount of yeah. dollars. Where with digital, I don't know about you, uh, you two guys, but I put my uh, when I'm shooting a wedding, uh, I put my camera in in the uh, in the mode that shoots five six frames a second uh, in specific areas such as the uh, the kissing the, the kissing of the bride. Uh, you know, congratulations you're now man and wife you know you've got it you can't just shoot one to, uh photograph there you gotta shoot six because what if the bride's eyes were uh, slightly uh, not correct yes yeah, so. no, i
2: think that's totally right and i, th- I think you know i kind of get actually get annoyed a little bit because you, you you hear about these photographers that criticize people for just shooting lots of photos and and i just think that's wrong i think you know you, that's what the tool gives you now and uh... i as far as i'm concerned Taking lots of photos is is perfectly acceptable if you're trying to figure out. I, know,
0: yeah, I I, tell, I agree too. I don't think there's anything wrong with with doing that. But my my personal way of shooting, and I think it comes, you know, again back from only having 36 exposures on a roll and not wanting to miss anything is. Um, You know, to, to to aim, compose, get ready, and wait for the decisive action and shoot three or four frames during the decisive action. So you make sure you have some before, during, and after, and then release. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. know some other photographers that are, you know, that are, you know, leaps and bounds better than me that are out there shooting. And they, you know, it's like they have a, a Canon Uzi, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. a, a shoot and spray or aim and spray, you know, that kind of thing. And they, they get great images as well. So... I don't think there's any right or wrong way. No, you there's not. You know, it's just how you shoot. And you know, if it really is an action that is going to
2: be really like, there is a key moment, and you're trying to get it. Sometimes the uh, you know, you're, even if you're in auto rapid fire mode, uh, it may not be
1: getting the exact moment as well as shooting. You know, just at the right time. So you never know. Point is, uh, if let's say. Let's say you're listening to a broadcast, a live broadcast from the White House, and the president is giving a speech. Uh, if you listen carefully, everyone out there, every camera out there is shooting uh, in uh, you know, multi-frames per second mode. Uh, and, and they're going to go back, and they're going to select the best of the six. You know that's, That sort of thing. That's my point.
0: Yeah. Nope, absolutely. All right, next story up is um, let's see, where is it? Oh, this canon story. Now, Ron, did did you get a chance to look at story number two? Canon developed the world's largest CMOS sensor. Yes, yes,
2: measuring two hundred and two by two hundred and five millimeters.
0: Now is we've that, we've. Uh, you, I, I know we talked about this last week on the show. or Canon developing these large sensors? Yeah. I, did you talk about? I wasn't on last week, but did you talk about the high density sensor that
2: was, you know, uh, one hundred and twenty some megapixels? Or did you also talk about this large size sensor?
0: We didn't. I don't think we talked about this large size sensor. Yeah, I, this is kind of the other, the flip side of that, right? Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, and we've had this conversation, and, and I still claim I'm right, that, the, uh, you know... It, but you're wrong, full, though. You're wrong. <laughs> is, is the full format... Or is crop format sensors going to go away, and it's all going to be full format? Yep. Uh, and, you know, my point is it was, was no, and I think, actually, this sort of proves my point in the sense that uh, you can go in either direction, right? You can always have a bigger sensor, and there are advantages to having it, and having something that's 40 times the size of uh, a standard sensor is clearly in a, in a different sort of a category for how you'd use it, but
0: uh, I don't see anything really converging. So you still stick to your guns about the crop frame sensors are better than... I mean, have you seen any, any evidence that crop frame sensors are going away in the last year? Uh, just evidence that Canon is building these larger and larger sensors that will obviate the need to have a crop frame sensor. I don't agree. I mean, you know, you've got uh, the
2: small cameras are also coming out. You, you, you continue to see as many cameras coming out that are with crop sensor, if not more.
0: Yeah, but then you have, you know, the, the, those medium, middle ground cameras. I don't know. I mean, this is a this is a great debate. And we, what has it been, two years we've been debating this? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, like we had in the, in, the, in the previous couple of shows, we were talking about how point-and-shoots May be replaced by your camera phone, you know, as those yep. as those those sensors and capabilities continue to increase. We're just at the beginning of those, and they're continuing to encroach on the the point and shoot space, and maybe in, even into the crop frame sensor space at some point, right? So at sure. some point, you'll have your your portable media capture device that also t- allows you to make phone calls and. You know your digital SLR that you take out when you want to do real quote unquote photography. But my my question is, what makes you think that you know this the standard thirty five millimeter
2: format is going to be the one either? And you know you could easily say that Canon's going to start making these uh, four inch square sensors as the new standard, and you can lug around giant pieces of glass that go with it. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. I mean, I think the the only thing is we'll wait and see. We have to wait and see. So Tom, Tom, what are you what are you shooting with down
1: there in Hawaii? I have. Uh, I just. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'm. I don't know. Every, it seems to be everyone's a Canon. Uh, Ron, are you a Canon uh, guy?
2: I am. But we we have a couple guys on the show regularly, like Steve, that are, are Nikon shooters and and,
1: friends yes, and, and me. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I understand. Uh, okay, so. The uh, the age old argument, which which is better, Canon or Nikon, is will continue forever. You know, we're not inter- interested in that. What we are interested in is uh, the brand of uh, f- the brand of camera that I have and continue to have and uh, have had is Canon. Now, why I'm uh, that well, that's another story. But I shoot Canon. The bottom line: I have two cameras, uh, the 5D, which uh, I'm really getting involved in, uh, especially with the video part. And uh the second one is the standby 30D. Uh that's my two cameras. When you go out and
0: shoot like say you're doing the architectural stuff of those 20 million dollar homes and all that, what do you what do you generally carry with you when you're when you're heading out to do one of those assignments?
1: Okay, uh the, that's a great question because uh, architectural photography is really complicated, but uh to make it uncomplicated, you've got to have a very very wide fo- uh focal length, of course. And what what we're looking at, I carry a 10 to 20 millimeter Canon lens. And that on the 5D, now you're looking at serious wide-angle photography to catch mm-hmm. that to catch that huge room uh, in some of these homes. Uh, and or on the other side of it, the small bathrooms that are in these homes that the agent absolutely has to have shot. And if you go in there with a... APS uh, size camera, you're just not going to be able to shoot that bathroom. You need something. You need something like a 5D full frame to get that. So those. Uh, so I carry with me uh, the the 10, the 20, and then from there the 24 to 105.
0: So then, so then on just like when you when you're doing those exteriors, and I've seen the real estate magazines or the the. You know the homes you can't afford type books. You know where they show the, the wonderful exterior with the balanced lighting. You can see the warm interior shot with the the front yard landscape lighting, and then the sun in the ba- sunset in the background, and everything is just perfect. Which is mm-hmm. clearly a form of HDR.
1: Are you doing that kind of photography? I have jumped into HDR uh, with tepid feet. You know, I just I'm, I'm I'm being very careful not to get in there uh until I'm very comfortable with it and, and the results. Uh however, I most of everything I shoot is not HDR at this point in time. Uh but I the, the, those kind of shots you're talking about, uh you pick up a magazine here in Hawaii and uh I'm proud to say I'm part of that magazine. If you open up the magazine you see uh credit, Tom Pickett. So uh, these these uh, the local the local uh agencies uh and i i 'll leave them nameless I'm sorry. You know, i 'm sorry i don 't want to bring names forward here, but uh they want the finest photography and what you see in those magazines take it 's an all day project to go out and shoot a house it 's an all day project sometimes two days to get yeah. everything done why, really why does it
0: take t- so long is it just like what take take quickly take us through the process of you get the call to go to one two three you know uh, lovers lane to shoot this this particular home <laughs> then what happens after that
1: okay what happens uh is that the agent makes the agent you have to work closely with the agent uh who's uh who's got the listing and between you and her or him uh it's up to you as a photographer because you're the artist you you uh, they look at you as the expert okay tom look at this room and what do I need to do to make it look more exciting so now suddenly you become a uh, an artist, and, and so in so much as uh, if the room needs, uh, if you 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 need you need to look at the room and the furnishings, and if it needs something else, you go around and look for stuff. And if you can't find what you need, you've got to take time out and go out and get it. So you 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 uh, you end up taking photographs of rooms that are absolutely perfectly. Uh, 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 fitted out with uh, furniture, furnishings, pictures on the wall, that sort of thing so to make it look perfect to the per- person uh, wherever they're located all over the world yeah. uh, uh, because these things are definitely put on the internet. Uh, so uh, clearly it takes two days because you, uh, let's say you go into a home. Here's a typical example and the room you're shooting is uh, 30 by 20. Now you know you're going to need additional lighting. Uh, you can't just do uh, an off-camera flash to the top right of you and, and expect it to work out. It's not a wedding, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> no. You've got to go in there with additional lighting stands, uh, flash units, uh, and, and you've know you got to make sure that that dark corner over there in the top left is lit. And that's what takes the time, uh, is setting it up, taking multiple shots, working with the agent, and then both of you need to agree that here's here, uh, here's the picture. Here's the, here's, here's the money shot as, as we call so it. So is it,
0: it, it you, I would assume you deliver a series of shots with, with a variety of exterior shots and a variety of interior. How do you, once you're done and you have the shots, I assume you, you, you take them back to your, to your workstation and you do the retouching on them. And what are what are you retouching in?
1: Um, Photoshop.
0: Okay, so you retouch them in Photoshop and then how do you, the client I would assume is the magazine or the real estate agent, how do you, what's your delivery mechanism to them? What do they get, a thumb drive or you post them online or, or how do you do that?
1: The delivery is uh, on a DVD or a CD in most cases uh, because uh, I'm, shooting, I'm shooting raw and then bring them back. Uh, then I go ahead and make corrections if needed and then go ahead and, uh, and, and give them a, a, a CD or DVD uh, to the agent and that that point then their staff looks at him and decides what is going to be published in uh, one of these magazines you're talking about
0: got it that's interesting so you give them the final okay this is you asked me to shoot this property here are the final shots um and they don't they don't it sounds like they don't have the opportunity after you shoot to go through and say yeah we like shot number 32 you know 45 and 105 they don't they don't get that you make the selection make the corrections in Photoshop, and then deliver them the final. Is that fair?
1: Oh, I see where you're going. Okay, I'll take on a typical property. Uh, they have a limit of 20, 20 uh, photo, photographs mm-hmm. or images, okay? Because so, there's only so, only so much room in these magazines and only so much room on the Internet uh, for the ad. Now, if the house is $10 million or $20 million or whatever, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to ask for more. But in, in general, it's 20 photographs. I deliver 20 photographs. They mm. then decide which ones they're going to use. But I decide from my photographs, when I bring them back, which ones I'm going to give them, yes. Got it. Okay.
0: Now, uh, you know, we, we started this piece of the conversation talking about HDR a little bit. And Ron, uh, before we got on the air, you were saying, you know, this is a, a really weird segue, but my brain just triggered into this, that there's a new application out. That lets you do HDR? Can you, what, what was that? Uh, what is
2: that? Yeah, it's, I mean, anybody that's sort of been following Apple, uh, apparently Frederick's been too busy with, uh, with his real life or something <laughs> to be the news junkie that I've been in the last few days. But uh, I just thought it was interesting that Apple had announced that the latest version of the uh, operating system for the iPhones allows you to take HDR photos. It actually does what some of these third-party apps have already been doing, so it's nothing revolutionary, uh, but lets you you know, hold your camera up and take a photo. And behind the scenes, it's taking multiple exposures of the scene and combining them to make a what we call a high dynamic range image or something that's, you know, designed to bring in a wider dynamic range into the, the visible space that you have in a JPEG. Uh, and, you know, for me, it, it was actually a surprise to see that kind of thing because it's sort of non-Apply in some ways in the sense that it requires some stuff going on, like, you know, telling people to hold the camera up there a little bit longer maybe. Uh, but I think it's sort of indicative of the the process is so well known now, uh, and the technology is, is good, and then, and then that results is what everybody wants, which is I want to just take a picture of the scene, uh, and if it happens to be my friend backlit by something, I don't want you know either the the face being too dark or the background being blown out, and so you know it makes it a lot easier. But I just thought it was an interesting.
0: So to be clear Thanks, this yeah. the, just just for the folks because h d r like like tom pointed out is is a you know it's a stick that needs to be wielded with care, so this sounds like this this version of h d r is more of the let's make a, a a better accurate representation of what we saw when we were taking the the photo rather than giving you the artistic kind of over processed look of of some h d r photos correct yeah
2: i mean I, from what I've seen it doesn't over process but i I'm not sure you know to characterize it as more realistic i mean mm-hmm. even that's an artistic interpretation right? correct because yeah what yeah. you know what you're trying to do is come up with uh, an image that sort of captures the way you mentally remember the scene of light and dark and being able to look into the bright sky and see the clouds and then look into a shadowed area and see the detail but you know what you're remembering is what you're not remembering i guess is that your eye is adjusting the whole time that that's happening and So, you know, it is still an artistic interpretation. And somebody at Apple had to go through and make a decision for, okay, given this sort of dynamic range, how do we choose to map these different brightness levels into the lower dynamic range of a JPEG? Uh, So a lot of that is going on in the same way that if you look at a JPEG file, you're really looking at some engineer made a decision on how to map a raw image, which, you know, a raw file is effectively an HDR image in the sense that it captures a higher dynamic range. Uh, and then when you put it into a JPEG, it's compressed down to something that your monitor can show. Yeah,
0: interesting. Yeah, definitely have to play with that. All right, let's move on to, to story number three. Um, and this one, just really quickly, Photoshop CS5 and Lightroom 3 are going to support lens correction um, of Tamron or from the, in Tamron lenses, or basically the the distortion that some lenses produce, whether it be you know barrel distortion or whatever. Um, that distortion from Tamron lenses, these, the software will correct it. Now, these the, these softwares, Photoshop CS5 and Lightroom 3, have had that feature in them since they were were launched, and now Adobe's just adding a bunch, a whole list of new lenses that can correct this. Now, Ron, you're not a Lightroom user. I know you're, you're Aperture, right? So you haven't, you yeah, haven't played well, with this? I, I have not, and this is actually one of the more significant
2: missing pieces of Aperture. Is it doesn't really have any... Uh, it's got third-party plugins that'll do this, but it doesn't have any built-in lens correction. And uh, you know, I have to assume that that's something that's on the list. But right now, it is. You know, it's not something that I would use a lot, but it is kind of a nice thing to have. And certainly, if you're doing, uh, especially technical photography, uh, the kind of stuff that you may be doing, Tom, with uh, you know, shooting something that's a very wide-angle lens and wanting to correct out some of the distortion, this yeah. is a pretty key uh,
1: piece of technology to have. Tom, have, yes. you, have you
0: seen how this works? Have you seen how the lens correction feature in Lightroom or Photoshop works?
1: Uh, frankly, have not. Uh, it is
0: amazing. Let me tell you, I did a demo at the the Silicon Valley uh, Smug Mug Meetup group that I do, the This Week in Photo Smug Mug Meetup group. And um, I was basically, it was a Lightroom 3 walkthrough. And one of the segments of my talk was talking about this lens correction feature and it just blew the audience away i mean it's uh you you think about it and you're like, "Oh well, this is technical i 'm going to have to go in and figure out all these algorithms to get it to do my lens and all this but it's not you You take a photo. You know, and the what lens you shot the photo with is of course recorded with the photo in the EXIF. So you you go out and say you're shooting something with a a Nikon 14 to 24, whatever the equivalent Canon is, and it's distorted. You know, say it's a building or one of your architectural photos, Tom, and it's it's distorted. Maybe you got the parallax error in there, or whatever. You basically go over to to a panel uh, and click a checkbox that says correct this. It will detect the image, do all the math
1: on the image, and suddenly your lines are straight. You know, just like that, boom, okay, done now there uh, <laughs> uh, okay, I need to look into this because one of the, as an architectural photographer uh going way back when I was in Atlanta shooting uh you know huge buildings you know twenty thirty story buildings uh one of the things you first things you learn as an architectural photographer is all vertical lines have to be vertical yeah when in, in the ending product, you do not give a client <laughs> lines that are that are not vertical that is that is uh um, that is not nice so uh i'm i 'm definitely going to uh, going to uh, take a look at this stuff because uh I end up sometimes when I shoot an extremely wide angle photo with distortion yep. and it has to be corrected and it can be in photoshop, but my gosh um, uh, if this program works the way it says it does here, I need to go out and get that. You
0: should go play with it. I mean, it's you know you can download it for free, just like Aperture. You can download it for free and play with it, and everything's in there, so there's just nothing to lose. Yeah. You, should, you know, put throw one of your images in there and check it out. It's yeah, it, it, but it, it, is, it, it cool. is also
2: part of the most recent version of Photoshop, right? Correct. Yeah, it's in CS5
0: yeah. as well. If you've upgraded to CS5, um, you'll you'll have it as well. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's crazy. All Thank right. Thank you for bringing that. Come yeah. You're, you're welcome. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I was, honestly, I was, I used to work on the Lightroom team. And I was, I was, when I saw this, I was surprised at how easy it was to, you know, to operate. And, and there's been lens correction softwares out there before that let you do, you know, that kind of thing. But I've, been, you know, and we talked about this on the show about a year ago. I was like, you know, how much is too much technology? You know, how much. You know, there's a line where what I was saying was, and I I think I was wrong, where you you get to the point where, okay, now I'm a technician and I'm doing all this lens correction and profiling my camera and I got to profile my printers and all this stuff. But when I saw this feature in action, it just made sense. It was like, okay. Now I can be a better photographer or at least appear that I'm a better photographer or appear <laughs> yeah. that I have better lenses than I can really afford because it's, it's making the cheap lens. It'll make cheap lenses that have distortion, vignetting, and all this stuff. It'll remove all that and actually leave you with the image like some of the high-end lenses can produce. So,
1: Well, the companies out there continue to develop product that uh, is so quick. And, and, and t- they're bringing it out so quickly that it's hard, very difficult. To keep up with it and let's let's give them a clap for bringing it out but on the other hand us photographers are busy and we need like like you just did make me uh, aware of something i wasn't aware of which is great yeah and, absolutely. and uh, i appreciate that
0: all right uh quick nod to another one of our sponsors uh, we're brought to you by squarespace.com they're the fast and easy way to publish a high quality webs website or blog and uh you know we we talk about them a lot they 've got a bunch of new things out if you 've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know they 've got their social widget concept with Twitter widgets, Flickr widgets, and rss widgets um, you know the The squarespace back end engine is designed specifically for ease of use and quick deployment so you can you have an idea for a website or blog. you can go over to Squarespace uh, and set up a site and get it going really quickly. You know, conversely with some other solutions, it's you're, you're going to be more involved in the engineering and uploading and all that good stuff. But, uh, with Squarespace, it's in the cloud, meaning you don't have to worry about the server. You don't have to worry about the UI to do it. And you can customize it pretty much any way you want. So it's a really, really cool service for, you know, if you want to jump into blogging or you have a small business and you want to turn on a website for it really quickly. Um, I would definitely definitely check it out, and you know I know a number of people that are using this, and it's a it's a good it's a good on ramp to uh, to getting things done, and you know it's powerful enough to be your you know your solution going forward. So it's uh, I definitely run over there and check it out. If you'd like to get a free trial of Squarespace, just head over to squarespace.com forward slash twip. You don't need a credit card or anything. Um, you can try it out, build a website or a blog, and you know futz around with it, see how the UI works, and if you like it. Um, you can purchase the uh, the service and you'll get 10% off when you enter the offer code TWIP, TWIP. That's squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. All right, every week our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forum to find the best questions for us to answer on the show. And this week's questions are pretty interesting. This first one uh, I am going to, let's see, it's from David P. H., So um, I'm going to read this one off. He says he owns a bunch of gear, uh, but the quest of making an image where where a water drop fills the frame seems to elude me. I'd love to be able to take an image of the world immediately surrounding the drop by shooting into a water droplet that reflects, shows, holds the water contents in reverse, of course, of the outside world filling the drop. He's talking about macro photography here. Mm-hmm. and I'm um, hoping that if I just laid out the gear, they blah, 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 blah. Okay, so basically he's wondering uh, what's the best way or what's the setup to to get a macro shot of a water drop. So, and I've seen these on, on Flickr, actually. I think if you go to Flickr and do a search for water drop photography, you'll see these amazing shots that are close up with a water drop filling the frame. Um, so you clearly know it's a water drop, but you see these reflections inside the water drop of what was around it that are is just sort of surrealistic you know they yeah. can get so cool close shots. so ron you you have you done any any close-up photography this is not specific yeah. to any brand of camera this is just no optics. no it's uh, you know I, I think he's i
2: mean when i look at that and i, and I love this sort of a mental uh, thought game of you know what would i have to do if i wanted to shoot this and, and you know it's it's great that he sort of visualized what the image he wants to get, and now he's just got to figure out how to do it. Which is, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the, the bulk of the battle is sort of won. Uh, you know, I mean, certainly you're going to need to have a a lens that can shoot close up, that can shoot macro, kind of thing. And that's either taking an existing lens and putting some sort of macro extension tubes on there. Yeah, you know, he mentions Kenko tubes, which is what I have too. You know, these tubes just push your lens away from your camera body, and they let you focus up much much more closely. Um, just as a side note, anybody that's shooting with smaller point-and-shoots, the smaller sensor actually also means that you can focus a lot closer. So little point-and-shoots are often really good macro cameras for that matter too. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I was going to shoot this thing, I think I would probably, you know, you've got the big trick of trying to get that water drop in midair as well. I would probably set something up where I've got a straw or something pushing, that you know, that's hanging down and has a water drop hanging off the end of it and get everything else set up right with the tripod uh, focused in the right area and all that. And then once I get everything else working the way I want to do it, then start worrying about how do I get the shot with the water drop in midair. I mean, I've seen uh, equipment set up that have, you know, it breaks a laser beam and then you time it so that it's exactly, precisely done. But I suspect that, you know, you could either spend a whole lot of money and time using something like that or just shoot a lot of photos until you get the one you want. But I think the main thing would be you know, do your setup uh, with some sort of static option where you're not trying to deal with the moving water drop as well, and then go from there. I, I wouldn't think it'd be that hard to get it. Really, uh, just time consuming getting everything set up.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, that's I haven't done a shot like this. And then while you were talking, Ron, I was looking on Flickr, and we'll put a we'll put a link in the show notes. But there's there's a shot from a photographer uh, who goes by the name of uh, Mukumba. I think M U K U M B U R A. On Flickr um and again we'll link to this in the post for this on this weekend photo, but there's a shot in there um of a looks like a some some like a piece of a a leaf or something or a branch a green branch or something with two water drops hanging off of it, reflecting a uh like two vases in the background it's just it's you know everything behind the the leaves or behind the water drops is completely blurred and out of focus, and the the drops are are in focus. And in fact, the drops themselves, the edges of them, are a little bit out of focus, but the contents of the drops, the reflection inside the drop, is in sharp focus. So yeah. it's uh, it's a crazy shot, you know. And that uh, you know, I think that's a I, I applaud this person as well, David Ph, for yeah. Um, for going in and, and thinking, oh. you know, because there's so much stuff. You don't have to be in Hawaii, you know, like, like Tom. <laughs> you, can, you can go in your backyard and do photography like this. And, you know, oh, of
1: course. He's got 14, 1,400 views on this shot already, so it's amazing. I admire uh, the, the, the audience out there and, and, and their artistry that they have in their head that I never had like this. I mean, just to be able to come up with thinking about a shot like that amazes me. And uh, I don't know if you read my notes uh, that I put in before the show about that, uh, but clearly that is something uh, I found very interesting. And uh, I'd love to see the results uh, that he comes up with, uh, if he can send it, uh, either put it up on Flickr or send it to us.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right, next question up is from Shane. and Shane says um, he's from the uh, – yeah, he was in the forums on the This Week in Photo forums. He says – so I often read and hear people talking about fast fifties um, as an all-around great lens, and the 7200 28 being a great portrait lens. He owns a fifty-one four that he uses on his seven D. He loves it. He says, "My question is specific to the crop sensor cameras. Um, somebody on the show knows about those. Is the recommendations for a fast fifty equivalent in the crop world thirty-five or probably a thirty-five millimeter? I know the seventy-two hundred is a great portrait for full frame." Um, but a 140 to 320 equivalent focal length is it only uh, it only really overlaps the 7200 at the upper end so he's just asking you know you i'll I'll throw this at both of you guys ron you you take this first you know what do you is is yeah you know what do you what do you think about this
2: i mean i think what he's really asking is he's trying to you know you, you get these rules of thumbs about oh a fast 50 is great for this or you know such and such a lens is great as the portrait lens and I'm not a huge fan of some of those rules of thumb a lot of time because what it ends up doing is producing images that all look the same. I mean, clearly, if you're shooting ultra-wide angle on somebody's face, their nose is going to look huge and it's the kind of thing you want to avoid. Uh, But, you know, I mean, his 50mm 1.4, if you stick it on a 7D, it's the same sort of framing you would get as putting uh, an 85 or so on a full-frame sensor, and that's a pretty good portrait lens. So I mean, I would, I would claim that on that 7D is 50 is actually quite a good portrait lens right there. You know, the bottom line is that uh, the longer you're to the lens, the more you're going to compress the perspective, uh, which can tend to be more flattering for portrait stuff. Uh, and then, and he even mentions that's the only thing you're trading off there is if you've got a really, really long lens, obviously you've got to be standing quite a ways back to be able to use that. Uh, so it depends on sort of your shooting conditions and how big your studio is uh so yeah you know i i don't i mean I, the the range that he's sort of missing in there i guess is you know having a nice uh uh something between 50 and 70 but i don't think that's really critical to get something in there
1: yeah tom what, what do you think about this thank you i uh i Ron, uh you you took the words right out of my mouth but let me uh i i wrote down some notes on this uh uh, my advice uh, is never, never to, uh, never to let uh, your mind wander beyond the reality. Which, and, and uh, uh, then tran- translated, that means don't believe all you read. And that's exactly what Ron uh, just uh, just said. But let's let's face it. Uh, if 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 I if I read his I read his article a couple of times, and I think what he's trying to say is wait uh... if i put a seventy two hundred on my camera isn't that too long to take portraits and my answer clearly is like wrong when you use the telephoto lens you compress uh... the distance between objects due to perspective uh... whatever you're taking a, a picture of and clearly the winner if you're doing portrait photography and take it from me i do a lot of portrait photography shooting uh... i used to work um, Back uh, some time ago, for Macy's doing fashion photography on the East Coast in Atlanta. And uh, we all don't worry, uh, Shane. Uh, you, you just sit back and use the equipment that's given to you by Canon uh, or whatever uh, product manufacturer you're using and let it work for you. Put that lens, long lens, on there and get some portraits because the idea of shooting with a long lens is to compress the perception of depth and to give you that blurred background that you have to have. So you're going to have to have a lens longer, or at least start with an 85, and your 7200 is a perfect lens for shooting portrait photography. Go for it. Awesome.
0: All right, last question here is from Brad Lentz. Basically, he wants to know, how do you go about uh, researching and preparing for model shoots or photo shoots in general? um he says he gets you know one or two days notice and he if he's going to go out and shoot a, a band tomorrow how do you how do you research and prepare a location for a shoot you know, uh tom i went throw this at you i know you uh you do a lot okay. of you do a lot of people photography like you just said how do you prepare for that
1: uh, that's amazing that's a great question uh i'm assuming that brad Uh, he's shooting or he's getting an assignment in at least the same town or something close to his uh, where he lives so uh, what I do and I've always done all my life if I get an assignment to shoot over here at the the convention center because there's going to be this event uh, or a band or uh, whatever you're shooting Brad the point is you need and I think uh, this is very important you need to go out and check the venue You've got to go out the day before, check the venue, make yeah. sure, look, go out at different, I go out at different times of day. I go out at nine, and I'll go back at four. Check the light. Remember, photography is all about light, recognizing light and how it works. Uh, so clearly, uh, you've got to go out and spend some time checking out the uh, the venue, and then I think you'll be very satisfied that you did, and it will pay off for you.
0: Very good. Awesome
1: all right guys let's quickly go through our picks
0: of the week um this is where each of the guests on the show picks out something that could be uh software hardware gear workshop whatever as long as it's photography related and tom i'll give you the honors of going first since you are you're the new guy what do you what do you
1: what's your uh, what's your pick of the week thank you would you mind if i had um three short ones uh go for it <laughs> okay the first one, I, there's, I know, I know our, our, our audience out there varies from beginners to pros and beyond pros, uh, whatever that means. Uh, there's a, a magazine uh, that I really recommend for intermediate, advanced pros and uh, beyond that. It's called After Capture. Are you too familiar with this uh, magazine? Absolutely. No. Yep. After Capture oh, okay. and, and Rangefinder. Okay. Yeah. Well, rangefinder is uh, designed, uh, of course, uh, probably for photographers, but after cap after capture, uh, it can be read by uh, just about anyone, consumer and otherwise. Uh, but the work that's in that magazine is out- outstanding, and I recommend it highly. Then my second recommendation to, is to Canon people. Uh, I I nothing nothing upsets me more than. To see people on the web trying to sell uh, batteries for Canon, uh, let's say, let's just pick the Canon 30 or Canon uh, 40D, and the battery's called the BP511. Now, there are some people out there who claim they can get 1850 milliamps from from their batteries, when Canon's best battery is only uh, uh, 1350 milliamps, and it's called the BP511A. On the other hand, I also see some people still selling the old BP 511s, which is only 1100 milliamps. So my my advice is to make sure that you get the latest, you know, in, in uh, uh, batteries for your cameras and equipment. Uh, the BP 511A. Make sure that they're selling you the right product. And my last one is on the battery vein, Eneloops. I'm sure a lot of us uh, haven't heard of it uh, out there. E-N-E-L-O-O-P. It's made by Sanyo. These, in my opinion, are the best rechargeable batteries on the market. I've been using them now for almost three years. And uh, I'll top it off by saying Apple picked. Apple now has rechargeable batteries. And guess who they're made by? Sanyo. So those are my three.
0: Very cool. All right, Mr. Brinkman, what do you
2: got? Uh, Just a quick one, and I know it's been actually discussed before in the show, and I think uh, somebody may have picked it in the past, but it was my first time using it. It was the Black Rapid uh, camera strap. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And uh, so I went ahead and decided to try it on a long trip, my trip to Venezuela. Uh, So I was living with the thing for two and a half weeks, and i got to say I I really, really liked it, and I just wanted to kind of call out that one if people hadn't, you know, we haven't mentioned it in a while and people haven't tried it out. Uh, it just ends up leaving your camera kind of hanging exactly where you want it to be when you're ready to take the photos. And I had far fewer times where I felt like I was wrestling with the camera trying to untangle the straps when I needed to grab it and take a shot. So it's just the Black Rapid is the name of the company, and you can search for it on the web. I uh, love that. I love it,
1: Ron. I use it myself. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's.
2: I think any any of us that have now actually tried it and spent time with it have decided that it's the way to go. Uh, I'm jealous. I don't have one. So. Yeah, and then there is, and to be fair, there's a I don't remember the name of it, but there's another company that makes something that is uh, very similar. Uh, I haven't tried that. You uh, talking about I, the camera, the camera slingers? Yeah, it's you know, it's I mean, the basic configuration is that instead of having two uh, two attachment points on your camera coming off of it, it's just something that screws into the tripod screw at the bottom, uh, and that's where your camera is hanging from. Uh, and I know there are a couple of, of different companies that do this, but Black Rapid is the one that I think I'd heard the most about and, uh, when I went with. Very cool.
0: All right. And my pick of the week is going to be the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of experimenting again. I, I put my toe in the water, kind of like what you were talking about, Tom, before, uh, in the HDR waters. And now I want to do something a little bit deeper after being inspired at this workshop that I went through by all this stuff that I saw. So. Um, I, I got Trey Radcliffe's, uh, DVD or CD collection with his, basically it's workshops and training on how he does his HDR stuff. He's kind of leading the charge on the, the HDR front. So I figured if I'm going to, if I'm going to learn how to do it, I might as well learn from somebody that, that has their, has hung their, their, their name on it. So I picked up Trey Radcliffe's DVD set and it's crazy. It's awesome. It's a four set. Uh, four-disc set, and uh, it's available at StuckInCustoms.com. That's Trey's HDR site. So that is my pick of the week. Price point? What's the price? It is... It's cheap. It's only uh, $397. It's, you know, it's up there. It's up there. But, I mean, I looked at it, you know, from the standpoint of... This is a... It's basically several of his workshops and photo walks that he charges much more for that. And it's, you know, on these discs. So... You know it's it's uh, it's a it's a percentage of what you have charged if you actually had to fly and go sit through these things in person so it's actually exactly. it's, yeah. it's actually pretty it's a really it's a really good set it's really well done um, and uh, you know I'm happy with it. I'm still working my way through the second disc and i'm I'm pleased you know I think it was uh, well worth the funds all right um we're at the end of the show, guys. we made it actually, through Tom
1: <laughs> Tom, you
0: made it through your first show. look at that.
1: congratulations. Huh? Thank you. I'm happy to be here. For All right,
0: Tom, where, where can people find you online if they want to they see what
1: kind of work you shoot and some of, those, uh, some of your real estate photography, etc.? There are two websites, uh, hawaiianphotographs.net. <laughs> you say, oh, wow, what a neat name. hawaiianphotographs.net. But then uh, with my name, T as in Tom Pickett, P-I-C-K-E-T-T, P as in Paul, Photography dot com. Uh, either website works. On Twitter, I'm TP Photo. That's T as in Tom, P as in Paul. Photo F O T O.
0: All right, cool. And Ron, where uh, where are you at online? Uh, easiest place to
2: find me is still probably just on Twitter. Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. And then,
0: cool. All right, and if you're Uh, looking for me, you can find me at my blog at frederickvan.com or you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. If you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, just head over to thisweekinfoto.com There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter account and much, much more. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. (laughs)
1: This week in photo is a pixelcore.tv production,
2: produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.
0: The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.